welcome to another episode of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell. Uh, and I tell you, we have an awesome show lined up for you this week. Um, I am joined this week by uh, Corey Erdman. He is a boxing commentator and combat sports journalist. Um, he currently writes for uh, Boxing Scene. He, you can also uh, hear him uh, various places. I uh, know Valor Bare Knuckle. Um, he does a lot of production work with UFC Fight Pass and DAZN. And I had him on to talk a bit about the uh, WWE Crown Jewel event that's going to be coming up later today um, over in Saudi Arabia, uh, as well as like, the inclusion of uh, polarizing figures like Tyson Fury in that. And we, we also dip into a couple of other topics, including... Um, his work as a producer on the Omega Man documentary all about Kenny Omega, which touches fairly heavily on the Golden Lover storyline, which is awesome. Uh, and I I did have a little bit of involvement with that film, and Corey was the first one to reach out to me about that. So, you know, we've had some correspondence for a while now, but this was the first time we actually got to sit down and and speak with one another. So th it was an awesome experience just to finally have that loop closed uh, for me. Uh, but I think we there's a lot of insight uh, about WWE as a company in terms of how it uh, faces and deals with uh, cultural issues uh, in the public. And that was, of course, on display this week with uh, the situation with Jordan Miles. We touched on it during the interview, but we we recorded the interview on Tuesday of this week, and that was before um, Jordan put out his apology on Instagram, basically saying that he let his anger get the better of him with a lot of the stuff he's been saying, even though he does stand by his concerns and his... Uh, and his anger regarding the uh, the t-shirt designing question, which definitely resembles blackface. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to kind of take a step back, kind of run through what he has been saying online and, and kind of readjust his messaging in that way. Um, that being said, I still fully support his cause in a lot of ways, um, you know, and as we stay later on in the interview, um, you know, this isn't the, fir the first time that WWE has been involved in something like this. Um, so I'll, I'll save the rest of that for the interview, but I just wanted to touch on the apology, um, get that out there as we go into our discussion about the Jordan Miles t-shirt incident um, and the use of blackface imagery in that t-shirt. Um, and it, there was one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get jump into the interview here, because um, there's a lot of great stuff in the in in the discussion between myself and Corey. But one thing that does come up is kind of the state of digital media um, right now, and you know we touch on some of the stuff that's been going on at Deadspin earlier in the week, and then of course today, as I'm recording this, pretty much. I would say the majority of the editorial staff at Deadspin has announced that they are leaving the site in lieu of some of the issues that have been put forth regarding um, the Geo Media's new owners, basically telling them to stick to sports, and you know some of the uh, the new intrusive ad practices on the on the various Geo Media websites. Um, first and foremost, I. Stand completely in solidarity with the Deadspin writers and editors that have chosen to leave. I think putting principle above your position in that way is something to be commended, even though it does hurt you in the short run. Um, you know, and Deadspin is a website that I followed f for years. At this point, it's one of the more um, knowledgeable, hard-hitting. They, they dive into topics and or take uh, or showcase viewpoints on topics that you don't really see anywhere else in the sports in sports media and being a contributor to a website like outsports where basically the a lot of the crux of what we do 
is focusing on the intersection of LGBTQ communities and LGBTQ politics and LGBTQ practices um, and the sports world, there is no question that that sort of coverage, not only does it deserve a place, but it, like, it, it honestly, you can't cover sports without covering those sort of intersections. And to think that you can run a sports site in this day and age without doing that is very naive and short-sighted. So some of the writing has been on the wall in regards to this. I mean, anytime you have a, a journalistic outlet being taken over by a private equity firm, it can be a bit troublesome. Plus, you know, we had the shutdown of Splinter, one of their uh, more political-focused verticals earlier in the month. You know, so, yeah, there's some major shakeups going on over there, and it's a shame to see. I mean, digital media can already feel like a wasteland to work in sometimes. Um, you know, myself, I've had my own issues with people, with uh, outlets in the past. And, you know, I had to stand up for myself and, you know, make sure that those people were respecting me, not only as a, as a contributor or as an employee, but as a, as a person. And the minute that is lost, it, it's, it becomes very hard to look at yourself in the mirror or feel good about what you're doing, you know, and I, I just, I can't say enough how much I support all of these writers from Deadspin, um, putting their money where their mouth is, standing up for what they believe in. Hopefully they all land on their feet. They're all so talented um, that it's, it, to me, it will boggle me if they don't. Um, anybody who runs a sports vertical or any kind of vertical, really, they're so fle they're so flexible in how they are able to write with humor, yet also have a lot of power and a lot of tact and a lot of cleverness to their to their stuff. You know, I think any outlet would be made better by hiring any of these people. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get that out there because um, that really hit close to home for me to see all of this stuff happening literally within like the past couple of hours as I'm sitting here recording this intro. Um, but that being said, we have a, we have a Saudi Arabia event to discuss. So let's get to Corey and get this show on the road. All right, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, welcome back to LGBT in the ring. I am joined this time by, uh, a writer for boxing scene, also a boxing commentator. You can find him at, at Valor Bare Knuckle, UFC Fight Pass, all the all anything where you can find a combat sports for the most part. You'll see him there. Uh, Corey Erdman, welcome to LGBT in the Ring. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, you know, I, I have to say as well, given everything that's going on in uh, in sports media with everything that's happening with Deadspin and and kind of the the. Oh, God. Uh, the the war on sticking to sports, so to speak. Uh, you know, I just wanted to say that uh, it's great for outlets like like this and for shows like yours to still exist because it's so important to keep hammering on the intersection of sports and society and uh, make sure that sports aren't like this silo that's uh, where no one can be judged for bigotry. So thank you for having me on and thank you for uh, for fighting the fight. Oh, no worries. I mean, honestly, I, I couldn't imagine actually being in this sort of realm and not fighting that fight. I mean, the, to, to to say that there's no intersection between those between different worlds with sports, like, it's just ludicrous to think. And the stuff that's going on with Geo and Deadspin right now, like, it's just crazy. Um, I mean, not not only would it be inappropriate to ignore, but wouldn't it just be boring? Like, not, not even the serious stuff, but to not point <laughs> out all of the ways that life and sports intersect would just be... I don't know. I, I just wouldn't enjoy sports the same way. Oh, no. I mean, you would lose every single, like, interesting, like, pregame profile. Like, there would be no pregame shows if that's we did right. that yeah, sort of exactly. thing. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's and literally then I get unemployed, so I don't want that. I like making rent. Yes, exactly. Same here. <laughs> so <laughs> we're on the same page there. Um, so I mainly wanted you on the show today because uh, Crown Jewel is happening later today. Um, WWE's event in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Hooray! They're going back there again as part of their ten-year agreement with the uh, with the with the Crown Prince and the royal family there. 
Um, but before we get into that, there's been it's been a eventful week already, even before they've gotten to Saudi Arabia, they being WWE. Um, over the weekend, we saw this stuff with uh, Jordan Miles, uh, formerly known as ACH, on the independent scene, where basically they released a or he he pointed out a T-shirt design that. Uh, definitely resembled a uh, blackface caricature, uh, the Sambo doll, and sparked a giant uh, Twitter movement um, among uh, wrestling fans that support him, uh, especially pe- uh, people of color within uh, the wrestling scene. A, n- a number of um, of pro wrestlers have you know changed their profile pictures to black and white in the form of a protest. The hashtag for the culture has been going around a lot, and then just like uh, I think within like 24 to 48 hours of of uh, Miles's first statement. GCW announced a event called For the Culture that is specifically aimed at people of color um, for their collective event at WrestleMania weekend next year. So I, I don't know. Have you been? I'm sure you've been following this. We've talked back and forth a little bit about it, but I just want to kind of get your opinion on where we stand right now with with this situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it goes without saying that the the T-shirt is awful. It should have never been approved. Um, but you know, my my reaction is just. Um, you know, how proud I am of, of Jordan Miles for, you know, standing up to this the way that he has, because I, I can't remember an instance in which someone went this hard at WWE while still being employed by WWE and being so forthright with, um, you know, with, with, with their complaints that are rooted in, in the truth. I mean, you don't have to look very far to point out instances of, of racism within WWE. I mean, again, like this is an organization that is effectively a part of the Trump cabinet. And, you know, this is a guy in triple H who supposedly greenlit this t-shirt that has gone on television in blackface more than once. I mean, we we don't have to, you know, we're not, we're not stretching to, uh, you know, to make these, uh, these accusations, they're not, they're they're not accusations. This is a bad t-shirt that should have never been printed. And he has every right to 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 voice the concerns and the complaints that he has right now, um, and the fact that he's actually doing it. I mean, good for him. I mean, just at some point, someone has to kind of put themselves on the line to get this company to maybe address some of these things publicly. Thus far, they haven't. But I mean, maybe this is maybe this is the kind of storm that that, that can that can cause them to wake up, or you know, at least cause them to make some kind of public statement. Uh, about this and, and, and about a lot of things and uh, about a lot of things that the company very clearly handles poorly. No, I, I, I completely agree. I mean, there's been a lot, not just like the, the instances you said, like definitely stand out, but I mean, we're also like less than a month removed from the title reign of Kofi Kingston ending in probably the most uh, pathetic way that it could have with that five second loss to Brock Lesnar on the debut edition of SmackDown on Fox. So oh, like, well, I, I mean, I, I, at the time of recording, we're 15 hours removed from an actual cuckold storyline that is very oh God, clearly like right. derivative of an offensive porn site. You know, we're not, we're, not, we're not far removed from things that are happening on screen that are very, very bad. So, you know, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I can't label this just like a oopsie daisy slip up. This is, this is the rule. This isn't an exception. Oh, no, no, no. I completely agree with you on that. Like, I had completely blocked out the final 15 minutes of Monday Night Raw from my head for a second there. <laughs> Probably so for I'm, the best. And yes, usually is, but <laughs> it's just, oh, God. The, so many things they've done with Bobby Lashley have been just so weird. Like, I, I always go back to the Sami Zayn program and the them, like, having uh, men dressed as women to portray Bobby Lashley's sister and just, like, how gross that came off in a lot of ways as well just there's a lot of things going that have been going wrong with this company in terms of how they approach uh cultural touchstones for a long time yeah i mean no doubt and and i think that this um the way that ach jordan miles is speaking about this um and and the other topics that he's touching on as far as you know what what workers within the company benefit from financially and what they don't and then obviously you know david Starr, who's very much 
seemingly the uh, the voice of the the independent wrestler when it comes to uh, you know worker solidarity and the possibility of unionizing. I mean, it's it's opened up a lot of really great discussions that have been swirling around, but I think haven't um, been at the forefront of certain controversies all the time. And now you know it's every time this comes up more and more people kind of learn about, you know, the the difficulties of, of being a WWE wrestler, what they truly are. And, um, you know, if there's going to be, it's, it's horrible that ACH has to go through something like this to perhaps cause these to, or to bring forth these discussions. But you know, if, if there can be any positive that comes out of it, it, it'll be that. No, I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, hopefully, hopefully there will be some form of change here and, and I, I, who knows what what ACH Jordan Miles has going for him in the future. Like, I don't know if he's going to end up somehow staying with this company or, you know, a, a lot of his comments about Ring of Honor have been called, have been like kind of bantied about a little bit as well. Like kind of pointing to whether he actually has a future in the business if he does leave WWE, which honestly, I I think he he still does. He's a talented guy. And I don't think that a number of places are going to like blackball him for for standing up for his own like, like cultural relevance, you know. No, of course. Not. I mean, I, I'm sure he could go back to New Japan tomorrow. I'm sure that given you know what the just the you know the the attention that it would get that AEW would probably sign him tomorrow if if they had the opportunity to. So I mean, just because he would leave WWE and can't work ROH. I mean, frankly, I mean, those are, you know, might not even be the, the most financially profitable places for him to work right now anyway. So it may not actually be that big of a deal to him financially if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, I mean, definitely not Ring of Honor, at least right now. Ring of Honor is having their own issues as of late. Um, so anyway, I wanted, I wanted to touch on that because that is like basically the story du jour of, of wrestling right now and kicked off a very bad week for WWE. That's just going to keep getting worse, I think, as we head in, into Thursday. Um, but I, I wanted before we got to Crown Jewel, I did want to touch on a, a project that is actually uh, uh, closely related to myself, you and uh, my work kind of highlighting LGBTQ uh, pro wrestling that would be the Omega Man documentary that came out on was it on TSN earlier this year? Yeah, yeah yes. TSN earlier this year. Yep. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I got the channel right there. So, um, you were a producer on that, and you know, I'm going to be completely transparent here. Like, you reached out to me based off of something that I wrote for Pace Magazine a while back. Um, whenever the production for this project was getting up and going. And I just have to say, like, I was touched that that, that had the impact that it did on, on you. And I'm sure the production was already in, like, getting ramped up before any of that, any of a contact between us started. But um, I was curious, like, what kind of, like, got the idea in, in going in your mind for, for the film? Well, I had uh, written a, a long-form piece on uh, Kenny Omega for Vice, uh, I want to say early 2017, uh, so, sometime after the uh, the Wrestle Kingdom Okada match. And, you know, as I had done that piece, I realized that, you know, this guy is a lot more interesting than I've found other wrestlers to be. And, and maybe that was just because I hadn't kind of uh, – interacted with too many other wrestlers as meaningfully as, as I had Kenny at that point or um, whatever it was, but it, Kenny, I found kind of brought me back into the analysis of pro wrestling just in general. Um, many years ago uh, I hosted a television show or I was part of a television show and then uh, a serious XM radio show covering pro wrestling. This was in my like early twenties. So one of the first things that I did in, in sports media um, simultaneous to other things, but at the same time I was covering pro wrestling. And then there, there came a certain point where I felt that it, it wasn't going to lead anywhere for me at that point, mainly because I felt that the way that wrestling was received in mainstream media and amongst other sports media, it was kind of taken as a joke. And, and that if, and if I did want to make serious strides at, you know, covering quote unquote, serious sports, boxing, whatever it may be, 
that it was going to be kind of a, a hindrance to my career if I continued with that. So although I continued watching wrestling and, I, and I've, I've never not been a fan and I've really never fallen out of touch with the product, I, I didn't have like a, an interaction with it as a, as a pundit. I didn't analyze it. I didn't really even really tweet about it or anything really. But then, you know, I, I was watching Wrestle Kingdom and I watched this match and I was reading a little more uh, – uh, about Kenny and then having done, you know, two kind of lengthy interviews with him uh, over the phone, I wrote that story and I realized, you know what, like, not only is there more to this guy, but I, I you know, I, I've kind of caught that, that bug, that wrestling bug a little bit. And I listened to the response to the, to the story. And I was seeing other people starting to write about pro wrestling critically and not just, you know, um, the, the way that we had to about 10 years ago, which is almost like pretending that it was real, um, at least on the network that I was on. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't know if there's a follow-up story, but I think that there's a visual element to this. And so that was kind of in my mind. Uh, and I happened to get a call uh, in the middle of the day. Uh, I, was, I was writing somewhere else, and I got a call from, uh, from Young Chang and from Dale Burstein that they were given an opportunity to, to pitch a story or pitch stories to TSN and they asked if I had any ideas and of course I, I just so happened to. So I talked to them and then eventually we went into, uh, into the TSN offices and um, although it wasn't necessarily like right on the spot, I think we left the office that day kind of knowing um, we're probably going to be making a film about Kenny Omega. And then that's, uh, that's how it all started. But you know, your story, I mean, even before I had contacted you was, in the preliminary kind of research and diving a, a little bit deeper, um, obviously I figured that what Kenny and, and Coda were doing was meaningful to the LGBTQ community, that, that this was something I hadn't seen before and that it must be taking an impact, but I hadn't read someone's voice saying those things. And so once I did, it kind of confirmed my suspicions. And then, uh, you know, down, down the rabbit hole we went. <laughs> yeah and it, i i it turned out to be a pretty expansive rabbit hole i must say like i still I, i'll be frank i still haven't seen the film just because i'm in the states and we haven't had the chance to have that i know we had this we had it screened at uh starcast one of the starcast events but yeah um, other, other than that like i still haven't seen the film but everything that i've read everything that i've seen you know talking to to dale and other people associated with the film like it's just been a knocked out of the park um, and it's been an amazing, um, not just for like for LGBTQ wrestling fans, but for fans in general to kind of like show them what um, LGBTQ storylines within pro wrestling can be whenever you take out the the elements uh, that have kind of plagued LGBTQ characters in pro wrestling for decades. Um, so like I thought the film was really powerful in that way. Um, I don't know, like, the more you got into, like, production for the film, did that, did you kind of get more of a, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess more of a view of how, like, how deep that impact could go? Yeah, well, I mean, because you start to interact with it on a personal level, you know, like, you know, getting getting to know you or getting to know um, you know, Issa or, or Pidgey or, uh, you know, uh, Umi or, you know, a lot of the fans that we kind of got to know in, in making it and seeing how meaningful this was to them. Because, you know, it's, again, it's it's something that you suspect is, is meaningful and moving. But as a, you know, as a straight white guy, I don't have to strain to look for kind of representation. It's there right in front of me. And so, you know, to, to experience uh, you know, even secondhand, what what someone's going through when they see that for the first time, especially in in an industry that historically has not only not been welcoming but has been derogatory towards them, um, it, it becomes very clear, and more so than just reading about it. But you know, again, like getting getting to know the people for for whom um, it's been meaningful and and people whom it has affected personally and and inspired in whatever way or or just just generally made people more comfortable when they're going to a, a pro wrestling show um no doubt you know a, a day after day it became more and more clear that um it was incredibly meaningful and and i think that even doing the film 
it became even clearer to even Kenny than what he knew, because I, I don't think he knew, I, I'm surely, you know, he was doing everything for the right reasons, but I don't think he necessarily knew the, the full impact um, until, until, you know, hearing from more fans, but also just going through this process and going through the interviews and having to think about these things critically as well. I think, you know, he clued into to how meaningful it was for other people as well. So it wasn't just us learning. I think that uh, that, that that Kenny kind of learned a thing or two also. That's interesting to hear, actually, considering how AEW's approach has been to the to the business since it launched earlier this year. Um, you know, they basically the the tagline is AEW is for everyone. They've been promoting a lot of uh, inclusive uh, practices. Um, not just with um, like sexuality, but also I know they did a lot of sensory inclusion stuff with, around mm. their major events, and, which is really awesome to see. Um, how much do you think um, going through the process of, of being the subject of this film kind of influenced those decisions um, for Kenny moving into an EVP role with, with AEW? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to suggest that like that our film – you know, in, in any way made something happen that, that he wouldn't have otherwise, because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Kenny is a man of, of strong, strong principle, strong moral fiber anyway. And whether we came around to talk to him about it, he was probably going to make the right decisions and do things that were progressive anyway, you know, but, yeah. um, you know, it certainly couldn't have hurt that, you know, the, the, the response to the film by and large, at least from what I've read has, has been positive and, and people, um, but more so than the film, just I think the overall, the media coverage that, that Kenny received and the Golden Lovers received for that storyline um, and the praise that they received, I mean, how can you, even if it's just purely a business decision, how could you go back on that? Um, so I, I, again, I, I couldn't possibly take um, any credit for influencing that in any way, but um, if it in any way amplified uh, any voices that, you know, help kind of seal the deal that like, yeah, we need to uh, be very vocally inclusive of all groups, then great. You know, then, then, the, then the film did more than I ever uh, imagined it could, but I, I definitely, you know, I wouldn't go so far as to say that we had a, you know, a, a, like a, a hand in making that happen. Nah, no, nothing wrong with a little humility there. No problem. Um, <laughs> so I, I do find it interesting, like, that we're we're talking about this like just hours away from uh like like you said we're recording on Tuesday um just hours away from the latest episode of AEW Dark where an openly gay wrestler Sonny Kiss is going to be teaming up with Dustin Rhodes who previously portrayed Gold Dust um in WWE and uh, they're going to be teaming up as a tag team on that show and I think that just kind of speaks to a lot of like the shifting in attitudes in a lot of ways. I, I don't know, like that, just seeing that, that image come up, like the, the gif of them walking through the, through the locker room together was just powerful, amazing and powerful to me, especially considering how, you know, Goldust being portrayed the way he was uh, during, I guess, during like the first year or two of his run before they really kind of just took the character back a lot from, uh, from pushing buttons. Um, I don't know. It's it's really awesome to see that they're putting their money where their mouth is, um, even if they do stumble here and there. You know. Yeah. You know, I I mean I hadn't even thought about. It. I, I hadn't even realized that uh, the Sunny and Dustin are teaming up. And I mean that. I mean that's just so. And then that's also kind of sending a message. That's 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 almost saying like, yeah, we acknowledge what Gold Dust used to be, and like here are these two people together. It seems very deliberate that they would do something like that. Be like, you know what? Like now it's 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 a new time. You know, and whatever Dustin thought of that character back in the day, like these, this is—he's interacting with it in a different way now. So, I, I, yeah, there's, there's no doubt that is a that was a, a deliberate move, and I think that's that's really neat. You know, that's, you know, there's Dustin isn't necessarily going back and like apologizing for Gold Dust, um, but I think you know tacitly that's that's kind of what that is, right? Yeah, no, I completely, and and honestly, like. Goldust as a character was so like odd in some ways because like I know for a lot of LGBTQ wrestling fans, myself included, Goldust was a lightning rod. Like Goldust was a, a character that 
for some of us, like even though there were some very problematic elements to the character, drew us in. I know myself, I've spoken right. to at least a few LGBTQ pro wrestling fans that are like, no, Goldust was the first time that Goldust taught me something about myself. You know, so, that's interesting because it's it, because when you when you look back at kind of like historical accounts of gold dust or when people talk about it even in present day, it, to, it, on, on on certain levels as you're just saying, he's kind of spoken about as this kind of like progressive character because he's sort of like those topics had never really I guess they had been addressed but only as like you know Adrian Adonis like ooh he's gonna kind of gross you out sort of you know depiction of uh, uh of of being gay on screen uh but gold dust like there are some people who kind of point to him as uh, as a quasi progressive character at least for 1996 or whatever right oh yeah i mean especially like just looking at wwe put out their asian street documentary a uh, month or two back and the only real match that is highlighted is whenever he won the mid-south television title from terry taylor by kissing him and then pinning him <laughs> out of shock. So like we there have been steps even even from Adrian Street to Gold Dust there were steps, you know. <laughs> so Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Adrian God. Street winning a match by kissing a uh, noted homophobe and racist Terry Taylor. Cool. What a great yes. <laughs> shining moment in in wrestling history. <laughs> yes. NXT coach Terry Taylor. Um, right, right. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm never going to get WWE wrestler on the show, I don't I don't think, after today. <laughs> it's whatever, though. Um, so speaking of WWE, though, let's move into, like, the real matter at hand right now, and that is WWE Crown Jewel. Uh, the fourth event the WWE is running in conjunction with the Saudi royal family. It's going to be coming to everyone live on the WWE Network on Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon, where you are. Um, these shows have been criticized from day one whenever the first show was basically a PR campaign, you know, and then they stripped that out after the Jamal Khashoggi stuff that happened um, before the second event last year, even though they still ran the event, they, you, they have not mentioned the, the word Saudi Arabia on their broadcasts. They have not, um, they've done all they can to scrub anything related to the Saudi Royal family um, from their broadcast. I know they, they cut back on a lot of the PR packages for the show last year and even the show earlier this year. Um, but a lot of that criticism is still swirling around, around this event that's going to happen on Thursday. Um, I guess to start off one crown jewel, the crown jewel events, like even taking the Saudi stuff out, taking the, the human rights violations out of this whole situation, taking the Khashoggi murder out of the situation, the shows themselves have been proven to be kind of poor outings. Um, I, I think the term I've seen thrown around is glorified house shows in a lot of ways. Um, do you honestly expect anything different for just from the event itself on Thursday? No, I mean, not really. And and I think part of the reason is because, you know, as you've been talking about, after the very deserved backlash for going there in the first place, the, the, the company made obvious strides to separate the fact that the event was happening in Saudi Arabia until the event actually happened. You know, when, when Crown Jewel is plugged on, on Raw, no one's mentioning Saudi Arabia. So it's almost like it's existing in this universe outside of storylines, but kind of not really like it's, it's this show that happens somewhere else. And then we come back to kind of reality the, the next night on raw. And when you come in with that kind of mentality, it, it, of course it's going to kind of feel a little bit off, you know, not a hundred percent. I mean, I, I can't speak for the talent there, but I, I'm sure that you know there there have been a, a, a couple workers like Sami Zayn who have just flat out refused to go, but I would imagine that a lot of people are very unhappy about going. You know, mm -hmm. Ali being one of them, and he hasn't really hidden that, especially being a part of Team Hogan, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. Yes, I, you know, I, and no one. I I mean, I think a good chunk of the performers are not thrilled to be there, and storyline wise, it's kind of done half heartedly and sort of in a silo. So 
so it yeah it's always going to come off kind of second rate and and frankly just really bizarre yeah i mean one of the most notable development going forward is that shame it man now has something else for um the announcer to scream about him whenever he's coming to the ring like that's you're not really making this seem like an important show right <laughs> yeah um so that being said um this this event in particular drew uh, drew special interest for me and was the main the main reason why I wanted to have you on the show about it was because of the inclusion of uh noted um boxing champion and um homophobe uh Tyson Fury and uh former UFC heavyweight champion Cain Velasquez um two notable figures from the combat sports world making their WWE debuts in ring at the, at the show um we'll get to Tyson in a second but I want to touch on Kane first because Kane like he's he has gone full force into pro wrestling now he's retired from UFC he's pulled himself out of the out of the testing pool um he's had a couple of matches for for Triple A that were surprisingly good um even if some of the uh, post match antics were problematic we you know we've covered how he at Outsports we've covered how he uh helped lead the crowds in the uh the Puto chant, which is a classic Mexican homophobic chant that is used in soccer matches and at wrestling matches. I think it's most of what Psycho Clown's uh, shtick is down there right now. Um, so what, how what, how did you react know, seeing Kane make moves to WWE? And how do you think uh, he will fare in that system as now he signed a, a contract with, with the company? Well, I mean, as far as like crossover guys go, he's obviously far more developed as a wrestler than we've seen in years past. I mean, like, who would you compare? I mean, I guess the, you know, the the obvious comparisons are either to Lesnar or to Kurt Angle, you know, guys who were, you know, legit fighters, legit grapplers who, who made the transition and made it seamlessly and, and very quickly because they were just phenomenal athletes. And, and Velasquez seems to fit into that same category. And especially, you know, having watched uh, some of his work, uh, you know, working Lucha matches, which is obviously an entirely different style, but clearly he's very comfortable in the ring already. Um, you know, we saw him like doing moonsaults and, uh, you know, in topes and, and stuff that novices typically don't do. So he's obviously way ahead of the curve when it comes to his development already. Um, his microphone work. I mean, we'll see what comes of that. He, clearly he can't lead any homophobic chants on WWE TV, or maybe he can, I don't know, but it's probably not going to work here. Yeah. Uh, that'll obviously, you know, that needs some work, but there are always fixes for that, you know, whether, uh, you know, maybe Paul Heyman turns on Brock Lesnar and suddenly he's supporting Cain Velasquez or there are ways around that. But I, as, as a wrestler, clearly he has a, a whole lot of, of promise albeit maybe in a short window, because Cain Velasquez, I mean, he's got to be approaching 40 at this point, right? And, and has had yeah. some, some knee injuries and obviously the, uh, the wear and tear that comes with uh, being a legitimate fighter. Uh, but at 37, you know, you can still have a, a, a couple years of a good run, especially if you're on kind of a, a diminished schedule. So, um, you know, I, I have hopes for him as a performer, no doubt. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully no more homophobia in the ring. Yes, yes, we can all hope for that. I think, honestly, I think some of that stuff was just kind of being around Psycho Clown and having him being like that, mainly being a lot of his fan interaction stuff. Yeah, in AAA. So I'm I'm hoping that doesn't translate because I know that Kane has a like a very much a adoration for pro wrestling, and I think this is in some ways like a dream come true for him and his family. So. I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. I I'm curious though because he's not in Triple A. He was working that lucha style very very well, but his appearances so far, um, like in ring with WWE, he's been much more of like the ground and pound, like getting back to the UFC sort of stuff, and it just hasn't come off as well as the the lucha that he was doing. Yeah, and it's and it's it's very hard to pull that kind of style because you know what you're. <laughs> You're banking on your MMA background. You're trying to make this look 
legitimate because that that's their idea for your character is like oh this real fighter is going to come in even though you know we're supposed to pretend that this whole thing is real but this real fighter is going to come in and he's going to really fight this other guy and it's hard to work that and make it look good i mean guys in japan can do that pretty well but you really have to toe the line brock obviously is good at it as well but i think there's a little bit of a learning curve unless you're just going to go in there and just belt one another which maybe they'll do i I don't know but i I think it's it's harder to make that look impressive than if you just do a couple cool lucha spots so uh we'll see what they allow him to do and what they don't yeah no i completely agree it'll be interesting to see how that works itself out um but uh, I did want to get to to Tyson before before we wrap up here because Tyson I think has been the more um, talked about figure in terms of coming to WWE. You know, the company itself has kind of touted his uh, trash talking ability, which he is very well known for, and 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 honestly is he is amazing at selling a fight. You know, outside of whenever he tra- trails off into like severely offensive territory like he knows how to get people to to buy a boxing pay-per-view like in nowadays where like you know that's that market is definitely diminished in some ways um but you know it should be said that they were saying a lot of the stuff about his ability on the mic while completely um leaving a lot of this the anti-semitic homophobic transphobic um misogynistic things that he has said over the past uh five or so years on the table um do you think that that obviously i think that was maybe a concerted effort to to just not bring that stuff up and not have that become part of the conversation especially whenever you're already dealing with a regime in saudi arabia that has criminalized homosexuality um do you think that this this uh, conversation around Tyson's comments has uh, done anything to like kind of up the criticism of the event itself? I, I, I think it probably has, uh, but but I, I don't know that the audience that would be uh, rightfully bothered by the inclusion of Tyson and, you know, his lack of an apology for those comments, those weren't the people that were ever going to tune in for crown jewel anyway. I, I, I think that for the, for the company, for WWE, they're banking on people being excited that the current heavyweight champion is taking part in a wrestling match, which really, you know, historically, you know, I went back and looked, I think it's only really happened twice. And that's with Jack Johnson and with Muhammad Ali when he made a, a couple wrestling appearances in, in 1976. So it's a, it's a historically significant event. And for people, and there are a lot of people out there who, again, are just stick to sports folks who aren't going to look into this a whole lot. It, 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 it probably has impressed them and it might actually get a couple people to, to tune in here and there. Um, you know, the, the whole thing was messy too, because as, as, as you pointed out, they were touting Fury's ability to trash talk. And they were saying things like, you know, he's known to fly off the handle or he becomes unhinged. And even that was kind of forgetting the fact that Fury had, Fury had a, a very public battle with, uh, with, with mental health issues. And, you know, he was very forthright with those things. And that kind of overlapped with the period of time when he was making – you know, these incredibly offensive comments um, was during the time when he was really battling with his mental health. It ballooned up to 400 pounds, um, was battling with drug addiction. And then suddenly he came back and, you know, in to use wrestling terms in, in boxing, suddenly he was a baby face. And it was almost like that period of time when those offensive things were said was just coupled into this time where Tyson was struggling and, you know, he must be a new person now. And he's never really had to account for those things. Now, it may be true that he doesn't think those things anymore, but he's also never had to say whether he does or he doesn't. And he hasn't really gone out of his way um, to say one way or the other. So the boxing media has kind of forgotten about those things. Mm-hmm. and has never really bothered to take him to task for them. Um, so from the boxing landscape's perspective, I mean, 
boxing fans have uh, probably moved on and they'll tune in anyway. But for people who are just learning about this story for the first time, I mean, rightfully, they're going to be, uh, you know, more than a little taken aback. No, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the kind of lack of apology because that's one thing I definitely noticed. And that's also was a lot of response to the article that I wrote about it because, um, you know, a lot of people on Twitter were like, why are you like dogpiling on him? He apologized for this stuff. And I'm like, if you go back and read the apology that he put out, um, it basically was one of those classic, I apologize if I offended you kind of yeah, statement. Yeah, I have, I have gay friends. I'm sorry for offending people. And exactly. Just, you know, we're going to keep it at that. Yeah. Yeah, one of the most yeah. blanket, like non-apologies in a lot of ways. Like it gets it gets the I'm sorry out there, but it doesn't do anything to atone for what you actually did. Yeah, and and I don't know that. I mean, I, I he has an autobiography coming out where maybe he'll kind of touch on those things uh, in, in greater detail. Um, but you know, it, it's he is he and the people around him have done a lot of work to really distance him from that. I mean, and the, and frankly, like you know the public perception of Tyson Fury coming out of his battles with mental health and then coming out of it as this like advocate for, um, you know, for bettering yourself and dealing with depression and whatnot. I think public opinion of Tyson Fury has never been higher prior to all of this. He was a, a mostly detested character who was thought of as the, like this overrated boxer who was kind of a fraud. Now he's a beloved character who everyone loves to tune in and watch. So like, yeah, he has this controversy surrounding him, but I think that the, the WWE PR machine uh, rightfully figured out that at least in the boxing world, that it, it, people have kind of moved past it rightfully or wrongfully. It like that is blown over when it comes to Fury's public perception right now. Yeah, and it should be commended, like his openness and his advocacy for mental health issues and and suicide prevention and stuff like that. That that I that stuff should be commended for for what he's doing, especially within such a a, a kind of macho world that combat sports is. Um, sure, where where a lot of those things aren't they they go unaddressed a lot. Um, but at the same time, like yeah, it's it's supremely frustrating to see that no one's really holding him to task. Um, for his previous comments, like even if it was, hopefully he says something in his book, but even if he was just to come out and say like exactly where he stands on those beliefs now would be amazing to see. Yeah, it'd be really helpful. I mean, it's it's you know as with the wrestling world, um, you know if you're a wrestling journalist and you and you want access of some sort, you have to kind of watch what you say when it comes to certain elements, right? In the boxing industry, it's kind of the same. I mean, like. Tyson Fury fights on ESPN and ESPN is also a media outlet. So they cover their own events. So they're not going to cover Tyson Fury particularly negatively. And if you outside of ESPN want access to go and cover events that Tyson Fury is fighting on or other fighters are fighting on, you probably can't go all the way in, uh, you know, in criticizing Tyson, you know, the like access culture in journalism has definitely affected what people do and don't say about Tyson Fury, uh, just as you know, we're we're seeing it all the time in, in pro wrestling as well, or in the UFC. It's interesting that you talk about like kind of access in combat sports journalism because like, I joked earlier, you know, us talking about a lot of the Jordan Mile stuff and Crown Jewel stuff. It is it is an interesting thing to look at because I know like whenever I I felt like, and I might be getting too meta right now with this, but like whenever I I put out my piece kind of re-highlighting Tyson's comments earlier this month and I felt like a lot of like basically the rest of boxing uh, media wrestling media hadn't really touched on it I know some people have here and there but like some uh, it just hasn't been that much of a of a topic of conversation heading into Crown Jewel which is very interesting to me to see and and seeing like you bringing up like sort of the gatekeeping element of it you know while i'm watching like espn basically just tweet nothing but celebratory stuff coming out of the the crown jewel press conference in in vegas earlier this month you know it was it really frustrated me to see that sort of thing especially considering that you know the pillars of what journalism is really supposed to um invoke and what they're what you're supposed to do with with the with the art form. Yeah, well, and and, and there should be greater awareness uh, from 
from the outlet. And, and again, knowing what the stakes are, knowing where the event is going to be and knowing what's done in that particular country, you know, I, it, it, it probably should be addressed. Now, is the safe way to kind of, you know, read the climate and, and then suggest that, well, okay, no one's talking about it right now. Maybe we're okay. Possibly, but that doesn't make it the right thing to do. Um, and you're never going to improve anything by, you know, you're never going to build actual uh, goodwill with your audience, particularly um, with the LGBTQ audience, if, you, if you're going to keep behaving that way. Um, you know, sometimes ESPN does get it right. Like they had a fight featuring Sergey Kovalev uh, earlier on this year, right on the heels of a, a couple of trouble, troubling allegations uh, regarding him and uh, physical abuse of women uh, or, or harassment of women as well. And what they did was before the fight even start, before the fight even started, the broadcast cuts to Mark Kriegel, who lays it out. It talks about the allegations. Then we come back and they call the fight as they call the fight because Sergey Kovalev is still an athlete who's taking part in, uh, in in that particular event. So they had to call the the fight as they were. But it was addressed off the top, and it wasn't left to the play-by-play man to kind of be this. Uh, this narrator and this explainer of kind of the context of what's going on. Um, I did find that when it came to Fury, there was, there was kind of no, there was no touching on the negative aspects of, of his behavior in the past. They definitely got into, you know, everything uh, that he went through and his mental health advocacy, but they didn't really go further back than that. It was like the, the Fury timeline kind of starts mid 2017, you know, with his like, weight loss journey and then it goes from there so i mean occasionally they do get it right but i you know there have been um i think i want to say lauren Thiessen wrote it over at deadspin a couple of months ago but you know there have been uh, some very well written pieces about how perhaps espn should have handled that uh leading up to fury's last two fights but uh as of yet they haven't ever touched on it yeah, I, I recall that Deadspin piece you're talking about as well. Like that was a really interesting look at the relationship between Tyson Fury and ESPN, um, especially the like, the business relationship and trying to separate that from Tyson's uh, past transgressions in a lot of ways. Um, and and to be frank, like the way that that you're talking about that um, UFC handled this and ESPN handled the 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 fight earlier this year, where they just addressed it off the top. Like that's all you need to do. You just need yeah. to make sure that people are aware of these things. You don't have to like color the person completely in that, in in what the, they've said in the past or what they've done in the past. Because honestly, just highlighting it a lot of the times will color people's reactions to that. Well, and the other thing is that you can see. I, I, I've I've thought about this a lot as someone who who does commentary, who does play by play, and often has to do play by play featuring fighters, athletes who have serious transgressions, uh, sometimes ones that are that are fresh in the news cycle. Like I had to call Sergey Kovalev's last fight, which was also in the wake of, of some more allegations. Um, I was in the unfortunate spot in calling that fight where I was the only voice. And that's really tricky because you then have to address these allegations, but then five minutes later potentially get really excited for this knockout that he scored. That, like, that puts – the, the, the play-by-play and, and color commentator in a, basically an impossible position, a very unenviable position. The, the only way I think to handle it, as, as you just said, in these instances, it has to be addressed off the top as something that's happening because, on, because if you don't, if you allow the same voice to call the action as if it's the same voice that, that brings these things up off the top, they almost sound like an apologist. Because, you know, how do I come off the top of a broadcast saying like, oh, you know, uh, here's what Sergey Kovalev did, da-da-da-da-da, and then five minutes later, I'm like espousing his bravery in the ring. That sounds like shit, too. You know, <laughs> yeah. so there, need, there needs to be a separate, independent journalistic voice that is speaking to these things in, involving these people who have, uh, you know, incidents that are ongoing, problematic po- past, whatever needs to be addressed, that it, that that can clear it up right off the top because yeah by not mentioning it you know we're all like we're all complicit in it that that basically says you can do whatever you want without any kind of repercussions we don't want that either so uh, i i recognize kind of how how difficult it can be as far as like an on-air broadcast but you have a lot of 
elements at your disposal if you want them. You can have a roaming reporter talking about this if you want, uh, but outlets just need to choose to do that more often. Yeah, no, I, I think I'm right there with you, especially like looking at how I think it's a lesson ESPN themselves had to learn because like looking back to the first, um, I think it was a ESPN plus UFC or UFC on ESPN plus where they had um, Greg Hardy fighting. And mm. a lot of the criticism around having that Greg Hardy fight was that ESPN was just basically ignoring a lot of his issues in a replay in the NFL. And a lot of the issues that basically got him booted out of the NFL, and a lot mm. of domestic violence stuff and, and that sort of thing. Um, so I think in that way, they, they, sort of learned their lessons in the way they handled the Kovalev fight. Um, but then again, you also had to move into the summer where Fury had his last match and they basically left all of that um, off the table. So Yeah, and, 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 listen, and they're not the only ones. I mean, think of how many fights Floyd Mayweather had on HBO oh, yeah. where it was definitely not addressed or, you know, or anything about Manny Pacquiao's politics have never oh, been addressed God. on a boxing broadcast ever. You know, yes. so they're they're not alone in this. You know, and no. and there there needs to be kind of a um, sort of a, a reckoning within the industry as to how to handle these things because the the right way is not to flat out ignore it, and the right way is also not to you know not not to let someone who isn't qualified to speak about these things speak about them because that's important too. If your by if your play by play man is just flat out not capable of speaking about these things, then you know don't don't let him or her do that then. But find someone who can and have that voice on the broadcast that can speak about these things and then go back to the action. Ah, could have said it better myself. I do find it interesting that Floyd Mayweather comes up again. And that kind of brings it back full circle to WWE whenever he was around for WrestleMania 24. Yeah. I'm just like, God, <laughs> we're just back to this this cycle of like problematic outside figures and inside figures. So that That company, I swear. Um, <laughs> I mean, at some, at some point, is someone going to dig up, like, all of the wild homophobic things that AJ Styles has said through the years? Oh, Jesus. I honestly, like, is someone like, going to make, a, like, a comprehensive collection of them? Because I'm sure there's some real bad stuff out there. Oh, I'm sure there is. And honestly, that's something that, I'm not going to lie, I've been very curious to kind of dig into myself. So, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> like... <laughs> That might be a fun project for me going forward. I don't. I don't think the hole is. I, I don't think the rabbit hole is that deep. Uh, I don't think you'll have to work oh, no. too hard. <laughs> no, honestly, I just. See, I, I'm from Georgia originally, so like I just literally have to go home for like a visit and then go like just pal around like use video game shops, and I'm sure I can get like one or two comments from somebody. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, well, Corey, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, we'll see how this whole thing goes down later. Uh, later Thursday, um, you know, I don't have high hopes, obviously. And, nope. I, and and to be fair, if I wasn't in the field that, that we're both in, like, I probably would not be watching this show. So, because, like, it's just, it just does not sit well with me in my stomach. Like, it just, it just eats at me that I have to watch this thing that glorifies a, a, a regime that has executed people just for being, uh, gay or lesbian you know yeah. like it's just it just hurts so bad um no, it's, before... it's, it's yucky all around and it's also seemingly meaning like if you chose not to watch it i don't think it was like <laughs> you won't miss anything i know won't miss anything unless they find some way to get out of that you know cannot be stopped for any reason stipulation they put on that fiend seth rollins match right right god um <laughs> But uh, before we get out of here, um, I'll let everybody know where you're at on the internet, where they can find your your writing, where they can hear your voice calling all of these great uh, combat sports events. Totally, yeah. Well, uh, as you mentioned off the top, uh, every second Monday, you can find me with the lead column on Boxing Scene. If you are uh, a boxing fan, you can hear me in various places doing commentary. Uh, You mentioned Valor Bare Knuckle. Uh, I do a lot of UFC fight passes boxing work uh behind the scenes uh i'm producing for DAZN as well so a lot of content a lot of boxing content that you see out there i have a hand in it in uh, in some way and you can follow me on twitter at cory underscore erdman if you want to chat i'm uh always up to talk wrestling or boxing rad awesome cory thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me 
My thanks once again to Corey Erdman for joining me here on LGBT in the Ring this week. And thanks goes out to all of you as well for, for the downloading and listening. Um, we're only three weeks into the show here, but we're already getting a lot of awesome response to the previous episodes, especially last week's Kiera Hogan episode. Some powerful stuff there. Um, but that just means we'll have another edition next week for you right here every Thursday on the Outsports Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm pretty sure it shows up anywhere. Anywho, but before we get out of here, I do have to say thank you once again to Daniel Quasar for the Progress Pride flag design that we use in our logo here. Uh, the Progress Pride flag design by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. Find out more at quasar.digital. And also to say thank you to Sarah the Safe Word for the show's theme, Formula 666, from the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter, at STSWBand, and you can check out their music on Spotify and on Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. My name is Brian Bell. You can follow me uh, on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. You can read my stuff on Outsports.com as well as a number of other places on the internet. And if you're into video games, you can check out the gaming podcast that I co-host with a couple of awesome Twitch streamers, Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin. That is the Mr. Video Game Super Show. That goes live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. That is LGBT in the ring for this week. Until next time, bye! She made a deal with the demon so her lover could live. But the moon is 